All right, well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We are currently in a series on gospel community that we've entitled together. And we've been looking at God's Word, seeking to understand what it means to be a part of the people of God, both in caring for each other as well as reaching the lost. And we're going to see that in the next two weeks. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, the reaching out to the lost. And then next week, we're going to be talking about what it means to reach out and care for one another. This morning, the message is entitled, Proclaiming Christ Together. And the message builds on CB's message from two weeks ago, as we studied the fact that God in saving us gives all of us the, the title of ambassador for Christ. We're all, uh, we all have different personalities. We all have different opportunities. There are various ways to reach out to people. And yet, we're all called as disciples of Christ uh, to share the gospel that we've been saved by, that we've been amazed by, uh, to others. We get to, we get to, we're called to and we get to share the gospel with others. The Bible teaches us, and it's good for us to think about this as we go sometimes just through the motions of one week after another, it's good to remember the Bible teaches that God hasn't returned yet because he desires for more people to be saved and added into the church. Second Peter 3 talks about this. The world mocks God for being slow in sending Christ in his second coming. Where, where is he? He promised to come. Where is he? And yet his slowness is an act of mercy and grace towards them. God's not returned because once he does that's it. There's no opportunity for humanity to repent and be saved anymore. So Christian, God is not waiting to return because he first wants you to live your best life now. And then once you're satisfied, he returns. God's not returned because, because God is still rescuing lost sinners. He's, he's still taking the gospel, the, the glorious message of Christ, and he's advancing it all over the world. Matthew 24 tells us exactly when the end will come. Matthew 24:14 says, "And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come." So since Christ's life, death, and resurrection, the good news of Christ is being advanced all over the world. Think about that. Every generation, Christians Saved by the blood of Christ, by the grace of Christ. And God is saving the lost in every generation. And we heard two of those testimonies today of that grace and that power and that gospel. He's doing it through the instrument of his church. He's doing it through us. It it is God who saves, and yet it is us who are called to go and to speak. And we're encouraged that as we speak, God speaks through us. We're encouraged, in the word, that as we act, God is acting through us. These truths are a great encouragement this morning. And yet, what I know of my own life, what I'm sure you know of yours, is that there are times we don't speak, we don't act. There can be long periods of time where we don't share the gospel when we know there are people in our life that are not right with God. And we could 
not do this for a number of reasons. I think one is we can be intoxicated by the self-centered culture we live in that tells us that this world is all about me. It's all about my personal kingdom building. And we need to remember this morning, we're going to be reminded by God's word this morning, that we are disciples of Christ. We're sent on mission. We're on a mission trip right now. It's called life. To speak and to live for his glory. To to build, to be a part of building his kingdom. He builds the kingdom, but again, he uses us. And and I think the other reason we don't share, and we're going to talk about this this morning, is that we can be tempted to fear. Fear people's opinion, fear their reaction, fear they will mock us or reject us or the message. And so we stay silent. When we have in our possession what the lost need more than anything else in the whole world. And what I love about God's word time and time again is that God knows our weaknesses. He knows our temptations and he wants to help us. God doesn't right in scripture, you stink at evangelism and then walks away. He doesn't say, why are you fearful? And kind of shakes his head and walks away. God knows we are weak. He knows our struggles. He knows our challenges. And in the word, he wants to encourage our hearts. He is a perfect father. And so this morning, we're going to see that loving father care for our souls. So if I could sum up our passage into one sentence this morning, this would be my attempt. Because of God and his gospel, the people of Christ are to be unashamed in standing with Christ and standing for Christ, no matter the cost. Because of God, because of his gospel, the people of Christ are to be unashamed in standing with Christ and standing for Christ, no matter the cost. So let's read 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verses 8 through 12. This is the perfect word of God. It says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Lord, we pray you would bless the preaching of your word. Help us to not just affirm your word as true this morning. Lord, help us by your grace and spirit to be changed. Lord, for our good, for the world's good, and for your glory. Amen. Three points. Point number one, do not be ashamed. Point number one, do not be ashamed. Verse eight begins with a command. It's a 
Very clear command. As followers of Christ, we are not to be ashamed, but the sentence starts with the word, therefore. And whenever we see that word in Scripture, it's right for us to look back and to see what truth precedes it. I'm a visual learner. When I see the word therefore, when I read my Bible, I I almost always literally think of a bridge. And the reason for that is that a bridge connects two pieces of land. And when it comes to Scripture, therefore acts as a bridge, not to connect two pieces of land, but two pieces of truth. And the truth of verse 7 is that when God saves a person, look look at it there with me, for God gave us, we're talking to Christians, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed. So a moment ago, I said that one of the reasons we don't tell people about Christ and his gospel is that we're afraid. Afraid of their opinion, afraid of their reaction, afraid of their rejection and persecution. And yet verse 7 teaches us that when we feel that emotion, we must recognize that is the flesh. That is the old sinful man trying to reassert control and not the truth of God. When that temptation to fear comes, we must remember as Christians, God's spirit is one of power and love and self-control. And God's spirit is greater than my sin. God's grace and power is greater than my old man. When I'm tempted to fear proclaiming Christ to someone, that that emotion, that, that fear of man, that fear of their approval, that fear of their rejection can be so intense that you can be tempted to believe you, you have no choice but to submit and not speak. I think many of us, when it comes to evangelism in all its forms, the, the, the quick invite, the, the family member you've been talking to and praying for forever. You know, the, the, whole, the whole spectrum. I think for, for all of us, for many of us, when it comes to evangelism, we are often defeated before we even get started. Because we allow fear to rule us. Church, I have to remind myself that these moments are authority of Scripture moments. Do I believe God's Word is more true and more authoritative than my feelings? Many times I have to remind myself that although I am tempted to fear and not speak, that fear no longer rules me. It no longer owns me. Before you're saved, your sin owns you. You're enslaved to your sin is what Romans talks about. And yet as a Christian, God's word tells me he breaks the bonds of sin. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a slave to Christ. That fear no longer rules me. Is it there? Does it tempt me? No doubt about it. It doesn't own me. There is freedom in Christ. And he has given me a spirit. God has given you a spirit, Christian. Verse 7 says, of power. Not of your own power, of the Lord's power. Of love, of self-control. So is the temptation to fear when it comes to evangelism real? Of course it is. The Bible does not deny that fear is a very real emotion. But God's grace is greater than our sin. His spirit is greater than us. And so we can step out and trust him being unashamed, being bold to proclaim 
the gospel of grace to others. The Christian life is a battle, is it not? Between the spirit and the flesh. And the question for us this morning, I mean, you could talk about this in any number of areas in the Christian life, but when it comes to evangelism, are you and I engaging in the fight by the power of God? Christian, could you say that this morning? When it comes to sharing the gospel with others, which we see again in 2 Corinthians that we've all been called to. That's why we're building on CB's message from last week. We're all called to this. I can fear not sharing. And, and so do I engage in that fight? Over the last 15 years, by God's grace, I have increasingly loved and sought out opportunities to share the gospel with those I am building with in my life, those that I love. I want to tell those I love about the gospel. I have always felt inwardly opposed as I step towards someone in truth and love. Maybe there are some here that don't feel that. Every single time I feel like God's calling me to to pray for someone or encourage someone or share the gospel with someone. I've never been like, this is totally easy. I feel completely unopposed right now. This is just, I'm, I'm walking on air. There is this battle of, I love this person so much, i got to share the gospel with them. And another part of me just, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. What if they don't like you? What if they mock you? What if they reject you? The opposition no longer catches me off guard, you know? When, when you've engaged in something long enough, you just know it's coming at you. I, I know the various temptations that are going to come at me. That, that exists to stop me from talking to that person about Christ. And I also know on the flip side how bad I need to pray in those moments and, and how badly I need to remind myself of biblical truth like verse 7. I think as Christians we sometimes believe if God is calling me to do something, then it will be easy. And when it's not, we're tempted to not even engage in the fight. We can hear God's word. He wants us to do something. Okay, I'm going to move towards that. He's, he's telling me to do it. And it gets hard. I must not be called to that. Or I must not be gifted in that way. Church, we have to have a biblical understanding that we will be opposed, even when it's things that God calls us to. God calls us as his disciples to face the opposition that is both inward and outward. And we have to prepare ourselves now to be men and women of prayer, men and women who remind ourselves of this truth and His gospel so that in that moment of battle, in that moment of of feeling opposition, one, you're not surprised by it, and two, you're ready to engage it. Church, let's be honest and call it what it is. Regarding evangelism, The opposition we feel as Christians to not speak about Christ is ultimately demonic. Right? The kingdom of darkness doesn't want the people of this church going around Berks County telling others about Christ. Doesn't want us going to people in Berks County and to the ends of the the earth with the gospel. Doesn't want us going around telling people that they need to repent and trust in Christ. Why? Because they will go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. The devil knows what happens when Christians start sharing the gospel. People get saved. The devil doesn't want that. The kingdom of darkness doesn't want that. Your sin doesn't want that. When we proclaim the gospel, people get saved. People go from enemies of God to sons and daughters of God. 
And so our sin, in light of this, seeks to oppose us, seeks to tempt us, seeks to dissuade us. And, and, and the reality is, it doesn't even need us to publicly reject Christ. It just needs us to stay silent. So that those around us don't hear the glorious gospel of grace. C.S. Lewis, it's a fictional work, but C.S. Lewis and Screwtape Letters, it's these two demons having a conversation with each other. And one of them was saying to the other one, kind of teaching him the ways of being a demon, talk about that. That, no, you don't have to take the, the whole guy's life out. Just make, make him love something more than God. Yeah, he can keep going to church. He can keep being around Christians. Just start to help him to love things other than God. And I think it's the same thing here. They don't need us to go onto the street corners and reject Christ. They just need us to stop talking. They just need us to stop talking about the gospel. Christ's community, God has given us not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. God in saving you. You are weak. He is strong. Therefore, do not be ashamed. To be ashamed means to be embarrassed of. Or to be tempted to disassociate with something or someone else. And in this passage, the someone is God. The something is his gospel. In the verse here, the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying, do not be ashamed of, look what it says there, do not be ashamed of, in verse 8, the testimony of the Lord. This is a phrase that speaks uh, both to God's character and his action. that The testimony of the Lord. I love phrases in Scripture that just are able to collect a bunch of truth in a very precise point. And that's testimony of our Lord. Do not be ashamed of who God is. Do not be ashamed of what God has said. Do not be ashamed of what God has done. The people of God are to be a people that boldly affirm that God is who he says he is, and we're not embarrassed by that. We're not embarrassed by what God has said. We're not embarrassed by what God has done. A, A defining mark of a genuine believer is that they do not reject Christ. That they stand with Christ. They stand for Christ. And when they don't, they repent of that. And they receive that grace again. And so we are to be a people that stand with Christ and stand for Christ and, again, who he is in his character, in his words, in his actions. And yet, why does Paul need to say, do not be ashamed? It's because it's a temptation. It's a very real temptation. Before I go to work, There's kind of a list of things I want to remind the kids of in caring for their mom and caring for one another. Usually the same list over and over again. One of the things I don't say is, hey, no playing in the volcano today. Okay? Avoid the volcano. Why do I not say that? There's no volcanoes in our backyard. I don't have to say things that they're not going to be tempted by. And so in a way, let this encourage us that God knows that we are weak and he knows we're weak in this way. Christian, don't, don't be condemned this morning. If there are times, even as I give these illustrations in a moment, that you'd say, that's me. Don't be condemned. Be convicted and go to Christ and receive grace. Receive his power. Don't be condemned. God knows. He knows our frailty. He, he knows our weakness. That's why he came to earth. That's why Christ lived the perfect life he did. That's why he died on the cross. And that's why he has given us his word. The Bible's not 
an academic textbook to be read like an, an encyclopedia. Yes, there, it's factual like an encyclopedia should be, but it's a, it's a book of relationship. It's a book of truth, but it's a book of relationship where, as I've heard it said, it reads you as you read it. And so as you read these words, don't be condemned, be grateful. God, you've never sinned, and yet you know my challenges. And so it says here, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Where can you feel that temptation this morning, Christian? Where can you feel the temptation to be ashamed of, of the Lord, His who he is, what he's done, what he's said? Maybe you're a student, and in this season of life, you just wonder what people would think of you if they really knew how you felt about Christ. You are a genuine Christian. You love the Lord. And in the church, with your parents, it's a joy to talk about. It's a joy to listen to. And yet, what about those unbelieving classmates, teammates? You know they need to hear the gospel and be saved, but what will they think about you? What, what will they think about you if you call them to repent and trust in Christ? What will they think of you if you, you don't join in on, on some of their immoral conversation and action? Maybe you're an adult and, and at work you're tempted to just not be real with your coworkers about what Christ has done in your life. They, they talk about their struggles, they talk about their challenges, and, and you lend a listening ear, but you haven't clearly told them there's only one hope in this world. And his name is Jesus. Maybe you're concerned that it would lead to a poor, a poor job review or a, a missed opportunity at a promotion. Or maybe it's just that the relational distance your coworkers might give to you. Maybe the temptation is in regards to family members. You sought to be friendly and loving and kind, but you've stopped short of talking about the fact that all of us will spend eternity in either, either heaven or hell. You fear their rejection. You, you fear how they'll talk about you when you're not around. I mean, really, let's be honest. We're all in this place of temptation, right? Because we live in a culture that is radically, radically not agreeing with God's Word. We live in a culture where people are increasingly rejecting God and His truth. And when they find out that we are his followers and we're one of those Christians that believe the Bible fully, they can be quick to mock us, to make fun of us, to look down on us, to distance themselves from us. This isn't always going to be our, our interaction with people, but there are times increasingly where when they find out that you believe that there is really true right and wrong, you really believe that that marriage should look like this, and you, you really believe that, that Christ is the only way, there's no other way to, to be saved. The word's like small-minded, narrow-minded, intolerant, and, and even worse. Church, God calls us to look at this stuff and to say, I'm not going to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. I'm, I'm not going to be embarrassed by what God has said. I'm not going to be embarrassed to stand for truth, no matter what it is. This is what God's word says. This is what God says about himself. This is what God says about us. This is what God says about culture. And I have to stand with Christ and not the world. The temptation when the culture begins to shift away from biblical ideas is for the church to lessen its grip on the Bible so it becomes more palatable to the, to the culture. Church can be tempted, I say that on the generics, the generic way of the church, 
tempted to soften its stance on what it once held forth as true. And church history teaches us that that will gut a church. The church thinks it's opening its doors to more people. It thinks it's, it's, it's going to be used in a positive, almost revival type of fashion in becoming more palatable to the culture. And it, time and time again, church history shows it goes the opposite direction. There's, there's one denomination I know of in particular, and they have loosened their grip on hell. They've loosened their grip on the gospel. They've loosened their grip on who Christ is. They haven't doubled in size, church. The denomination has lost half its members in 20 years because they're no longer standing with Christ and for Christ. And so they're no longer a church of God. And so when we look at this stuff, may it give us... Um, the sobriety to say, God, help us to hold your word tightly. Help us, Lord, to not loosen our grip when the culture starts to come at us, but be ever tighter. Teens, 10, 11, 12-year-olds, this, this is you. Will you love God's word? Is God's word your authority? Is God's word more powerful, more potent, more authoritative than your feelings and even what the culture says? It must be. It has to be. You have no hope without it. We want to impart that gift to you. We want, by the grace of God as a church, to hold God's word, to, to not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. That, that by God's grace, we would leave you an example that when we're no longer here, you would remember, okay, the, the culture is still changing. But we stand on Christ. We stand on His word. That is our only hope. And so may we not be ashamed of the gospel. May we not be ashamed of our Lord. Point number two, share in suffering for the gospel. Share in suffering for the gospel. I love when God just says the complete opposite of what we think he's going to say. And God here loves us enough to tell us the truth. And we see here, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. In this passage we see, I think the somewhat startling truth, that as Christians not only are we to proclaim Christ together and not be ashamed of our Lord, but to share in the suffering uh, of the gospel, to, to share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. What a statement. God is up front with you when it comes to being a Christian. God doesn't try to paint this picture of, of what it's not and then get you in the door and like, oh, by the way, there's some small uh, fine print that I didn't tell you about. God is saying to us, okay, you want to be a Christian. That's awesome. You should want to be a Christian. There's no hope apart from being in Christ. There is much joy in this life in being a forgiven child of God. And yet God tells the Christian to share in suffering for the gospel. I had the joy of doing the baptism interviews and just um, hearing about the people that wanted to be baptized their understanding of sin, their understanding of the gospel, their understanding of where they see Christ and, and the gospel's effect in their life. And, and one of the things I said to each of them was, do you understand uh, the cost of being a Christian? You will suffer. You will be persecuted. Part of being baptized is standing up and saying, I follow Christ no matter what. 
We are all on a mission trip right now. And I think we need to remember that when God tells us we're going to suffer for the gospel. When um, people in our church have gone on mission trips, they know, they know they're not on vacation, right? They, they, nobody would be up, or hopefully not. Pay Hope can tell me if this was on their mission trip. Nobody would have their feet up, drinking hand, reading a book. This is awesome, man. It's like a getaway. I went down south. I'm reading. I'm having a good time. What are you doing? You're on a mission trip. Get out there. Serve. Share with the gospel with people. Love on people. Oh, that's right. I forgot. I'm on vacation. I'm on the mission trip. Okay. I'm on the mission trip. There's a mindset of this is wartime. Not with people, but kingdom of darkness versus kingdom of light. When you're on a mission trip, you understand you're called to serve. You're called to give. You're called to sacrifice for the good of others. That's Christians right now. We are all on a mission trip right now. And part of the mission trip means suffering for the gospel. The, the, little, the literal trans, uh, translation is share in the affliction of the gospel. If you're living for yourself, which we all can be tempted to, but you're living for this kind of this life, building my kingdom, you're going to look at suffering and cost. And what? No. Why, why would I do that? I, I'm building this. Why would I be a part of that? And when it comes and people reject us or they persecute us or just they mock us, we're just going to avoid it. No, I don't want to experience that. And so if staying silent means I don't experience that or just not even engaging with it, not even going over there, that's what I'll do. And yet God is saying, here's the call for the Christian. We're going to suffer in different ways, but we're going to all suffer if we're faithful to be his disciples. Jesus lovingly reminds us of this when he was here in his earthly ministry that we might not be surprised. John 15, 18 to 20. Let this sink in, Christian. This is for you. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. These words and the words of 2 Timothy 1 help us to understand that there is a cost in following Christ. Great joy, eternal life, a glorious inheritance that is coming for us, yes. But now, on the mission trip, there's a cost. Have you and I prepared our hearts for that? And right alongside that, if you have, maybe in this last season you've shared the gospel with someone in your life and they've gotten angry with you. You've shared God's word with them and they've called you intolerant. If so, don't be surprised and don't think you've done something wrong. Don't loosen your hold on the gospel or his truth because of that reaction. Jesus shared the words of John 15 to help us to know that when that comes, you're actually following Christ. That's why I think there was joy in the disciples when they felt that persecution. Because they knew they weren't living for the world. They were living for him. They were following him. We will not all suffer in the same way, but we will all suffer if we are faithful to stand for Christ and stand with Christ in the midst of the culture. And honestly, I think this truth is massively freeing as a Christian. 
I think it's freeing. So I'm going to take you into me. I don't know if it's where we all are. It's freeing to me because I think, at least for myself, maybe others, we can be tempted to spend a lot of time in decision-making trying to have our cake and eat it too. How can I live the Christian life and at the same time have everyone at school or work or in my, in my family love me and think I'm great? We can be tempted in our sin to make an idol out of people's approval. And that will cause us to be silent about Christ or to do it in such a way where we're not thinking about God. We're not thinking about others. We're just thinking about ourselves the whole time. You know, I'm sharing the gospel, but the whole time I'm thinking, how am I being perceived right now? Am I being rejected? Am I being accepted? How's this going? And there's just something freeing about God just telling us on the front end, you're going to suffer for the sake of the gospel. You're not going to be able to do this in such a way where you're able to be a Christian and follow Christ and the world say, you're the great guy or you're a great gal. It's not going to happen. God's saying, they hated me. I mean, if anyone could have done it, it would have been Jesus. Jesus was very loved, but he was very hated. And I think the same will be true as Christians. There are some people you're going to share the gospel with and they are eternally grateful for what you have done. And there will be people that you share the gospel with and they're going to hate you. And they're going to call you intolerant. And they're going to mock you. And we have to prepare our hearts for this. Okay, this is what it means to follow Jesus. It doesn't mean that we should be unloving or reckless or unkind in any way. And I've seen examples of that, sadly. There's a difference between the gospel being offensive and just you being offensive. We, we want to speak the truth in love as God calls us to, but... And I think this is my fear, or, or my attempt to avoid this. Maybe I can share the truth in such a way that even if they disagree, they'll still like me. And it's just sometimes not going to happen. I know it. I know it from experience. And so again, we want to be loving. We want to be gracious. Paul says, you do these great things, but there's no love. You're a noisy gong. I don't want to be a noisy gong. But I also recognize there will be times where I proclaim Christ to someone as lovingly as I can, and we will be rejected. You will be rejected. Fear of man is all about self. Me, 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 me. We die to fear man as we get our eyes off of ourselves and onto Christ. We get our eyes, uh, we, we die to the fear of man as we get our eyes off ourselves and onto others. Think about this with me. Why are we so grateful for the United States military? Why are we still talking about soldiers from World War II decades after the battle took place? Is it not, at least in part, because of the selfless acts of sacrifice they exhibited? They, they saw the need. They heard the call and they were willing to put themselves in harm's way again and again because of the danger our country and the world was facing from Hitler and the Nazi regime. I mean, you read these accounts of U.S. soldiers and there were just fear at times, no doubt. Suffering and pain, yes. Uh, Matt, my brother-in-law, uh, was talking to me about how uh, in the Battle of the Bulge, there was a guy who was in a foxhole so long, they went to get him out, and he was basically an ice block from his knees down. And they had to lift him out, and, and the, basically the ice block was still intact on his legs. And they had to chisel it out before they got him back to the, to the medic station. Why would people do this? Why would they sacrifice like this? 
It's because they thought about the good of others. That they saw the danger, they saw the need, and they went. Kelly's grandfather was not 18. I believe he lied and said he was 18 so that he could go to fight in the U.S. military. Think about that. Not lie so you don't have to go. Lie so that you could serve. And I'm not promoting lying. <laughs> promoting, though, that, that sense of others' focus. That sense of, I gotta serve. One of the groups I'm most amazed by in studying World War II were the medics. That were on the battlefield. I mean, thank God for all the medics who were in the tents. But the, the medics who were on the battlefield in the midst of the fighting, they, they, fa- they just, the way their brains work fascinate me. Countless times, soldiers were hit by bullets and shrapnel, and the call for the medic went up, right? You ever watch a World War II movie? You see Band of Brothers, we've talked about in the past. Just, medic! Medic! And these medics run not away from the fighting. They run towards the fighting, bullets whizzing all over the place, and they're running not with the machine gun in their hand, which you would still be scared even if you had that in your hands. They're running not with a machine gun. They're running with medical supplies towards the front line. They get down and they're caring for the person who is injured. We are the medics. Christian, you are the medic that is called to run not away from the front line, but towards the front line. There are people all over Berks County, all over your schools and work and neighborhood and all around the world who are on the battlefield more than wounded. And we're called to go after them. You've got what they need. You have the gospel. And if we just think about self, 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 we're never going to go towards them. But if we think about their condition, if you think about what your condition was before you were saved, That's where they are right now. We're called to run after them. This is not peacetime. This is not time to rest. This is wartime. This is time to go. This is time to to put ourselves on the line. And we have an even greater example to follow than the U.S. military. We have our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That brings us to the last point, point number three. Remember the gospel. This, this next section, <laughs> it is, an amazing section of truth about what has happened to you, Christian. And what God is doing here is not, okay, we should not be ashamed. Now, in your own strength, let's go. Let's go not be ashamed for Christ. Let's go. We gotta go to the front line. Let's pull up, pull up the bootstraps. Let's go. Like the sermon can't end yet. Because the motivation to not be ashamed, the motivation to run towards the lost, it cannot be in our own strength. And I know we started that with the message of the spirit of power that God gave us. But we see it again in verse 9. God in verse 9 is saying, here's the motivation to not be ashamed. God and his gospel. Here's the motivation to go to the lost. What God has done in your life. So just, if you're a Christian, this is to you. Just, as CB would say, drink it in deep. (laughs) Let these words, let these truths just pour over you and amaze you of what God has done. 
Verse 9 says, God who saved us. So by the power of God, so God's the article we're looking at, God who saved us. Saved us from what? Saved us from an eternity in hell. Facing the judgment I deserved for a lifetime of rebellion against him. God has saved us and called us to a holy calling. Meaning, your life now, Christian, I know it feels normal in a sense of, well, how else would my life be? No, where else would I be living? Where, how else could I be directed to God? When, when it's just what life is, it can be tempting to think, well, of course this is the, the trajectory of my life. That holy calling is saying that when God saved you, he basically turns you completely around. You might have still been living in Berks County. You'd be living for yourself and Satan, whether you knew it or not. God, when he saves someone, picks them up and they go from enemies of God to sons and daughters of God. Not because you earned it. Not because you're good enough. Look at it there. Not because of our works. So I have been a pastor for Eight years, I think. I've been in this church for 13 years. I've realized you can't tell yourself enough that you were saved by God's grace alone. I am recognizing in my own heart, and as I care for you, that we have to keep telling ourselves we weren't saved by our works. It's just one of those sins and one of those lies where you just want to bring it back. And so when you fail, just, well, how could God love me? Well, it wasn't based on your works to begin with. And I think it was Celia that said it, just that from your head to your heart, how in our minds we can know we were saved by grace alone, and yet in our hearts the temptation to think I earned it or to think I didn't need to earn it. I just can't read verse 9 enough. Not because of our works but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. You're not a Christian because you climbed the mountain to God. You're not a Christian because God looked at you and said, yeah, that one's moral enough. Bring him or her in. You and I, as it says in Romans 3, did not love God, did not want to pursue God. We rebellious against him. We were running after either moralism or the world, and either position was away from God. And yet in his grace, he purposed to save us. Before the creation of the world, he purposed to save you. That's what it's saying there. Before the ages began, before God created anything, he thought about you by name and said, I'm going to save him or her. Why? It's incredible. He created me knowing I would rebel against him. He created me knowing I would find my identity in wrong things. And yet, in his love, he has saved us. And then verse 10 is the uh, you know, kind of promises made, promises kept. Verse 10 is the promises kept. So God, before the creation of the world, said, I'm going to save him, I'm going to save her. And then verse 10, and which now has been manifested... That promise, that action has been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 
I love that phrase, our Savior, Christ Jesus. That is what Christ is to me. He is my Savior. If you're a Christian, He is your Savior. He saved you. He lived a perfect life for you. He died on the cross for you to take that record of debt. And in verse 11, as we, as we turn to the close, we're going to give communion out in just a couple minutes. Verse 11, Paul personalizes it. And I would encourage you this morning, Christian, to personalize it. He says, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. And then listen to this, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So being not ashamed has, in a sense, nothing to do with you. It is not, I'm not ashamed because I'm awesome and I'm bold and I'm, I'm one of these guys who go to the world. Well, Paul was one of those guys. And yet what he says is, I know whom I've believed. My hope is not in myself. My confidence is not in myself. It's in the one who has done verse 9 and 10. My hope is in the one who has saved me by his grace. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. And yet he saved me by his grace. And Christ has come. God himself came to earth that you might be rescued. I know whom I have believed. The culture can talk all day long and mock God all day long. And really, you believe that all day long. And Paul's saying, yes, I know whom I have believed. I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Christian, God doesn't want that just for Paul. He wants that for you this morning. He wants you to be convinced of his love. He wants you to be convinced of his grace. He wants you to be convinced that John 10 is true of you, that he's got you and he's not letting go. He wants you to be convinced that Christ is returning and when he does, you will be with him in the new heavens and the new earth. Are you convinced this morning? If you're not, don't try to drum it up in your own strength. Go to God and say, God, help me to know you better. Lord, give me more of that grace, more of your spirit. Lord, interact with me. Help me. Walk with me. Abide with me. If somehow evangelism is about you getting strong and bold and go, which we are called to go, but if it's just about you, I think it's going to be short-lived and then into the tank. But if we just keep thinking about God and his gospel. I think about God, that God. There's only one God. He is all powerful, all knowing. He's created created everything with just the word of his mouth. That God loves me and saved, saved me and rescued me. Why would I care what people think? Fear of man seems laughable when you think about God's approval versus man's approval. What Christ thinks of me or what people think of me. And so as I think about the gospel, as I think about Christ, people's opinions go down to where they're supposed to be. I want God's approval. I don't want man's. And then when you look at people who are not saved, you think about where you were, you were headed to hell. And you meet people 
and they don't know Christ, and they've not repented and trusted in Christ. If it's about us, we're not going to share because it's what do they think about me. But when we think about the Lord, and we think about what he's done for us, and we have a genuine love for people, we're going to want to tell them the gospel. Ushers, if you could hand out the offering, or the uh, communion uh, trays. I don't do communion very often, you know. If you hand out the communion trays, you can start passing them out. And as they do, I just want to encourage you to prepare your heart for communion. So communion is for Christians. If you're not a Christian, we'd encourage you not to take communion. If you have questions about being a Christian, we'd love to meet with you afterwards. But this uh, is an ordinance God himself gave us, Christ himself gave us, to remember the gospel, to celebrate the gospel together. I'm so excited for for the people that were baptized last week that for some of them, Uh, They're taking communion for the very first time, and they get to join the body of Christ in this ordinance. So I'm grateful for you as you get to join us in this. But as as it's being given out, I just want you to spend some time in prayer. You know, are there any areas of your life that you need to just to go to God and repent over? It doesn't have to be evangelism. Maybe it is. Maybe you you're convicted this morning of just that fear of man that. Concerned more about yourself than others, more concerned about yourself and the Lord. But it's right for us before we uh, take communion to prepare our hearts for communion and to just go to the Lord. So I want you to do that. And even if it's just a time of expressing your personal gratefulness to God for what he has done. We live in a culture that is filled with noise almost from the beginning uh, that we wake up until we go to bed. And if not noise, images. And it's good for us for something kind of God in giving us communion to stop and to remember We have hope this morning because of Christ. A confident hope. An eternal hope. I'm grateful that God gives us this ordinance as a church to say, Christ, we remember. We remember that you lived the perfect life. We remember you died that death. And we remember that you are no longer dead, but alive and reigning. It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. Disciples of Christ, let us remember the broken body of Christ.
And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Disciples of Christ, remember, Christ shed blood for forgiveness of our sins. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that by the Spirit that You gave us, we would remember who You are, what You've done, what You've said, moment by moment, day by day, and that it would help us, Lord, to get our eyes off ourselves and onto You and onto others. Lord, we pray for Your grace this morning. We pray for Your Spirit this morning that we would be able to obey Your Word, that we would not be ashamed of the Gospel, that we would be not ashamed of You, but that we would speak. And speak lovingly and boldly and frequently because this culture needs to hear the Gospel. They need to hear about You, Lord. And You've sent us. So we pray, use us, Lord. We thank you for how you have used us. We've, we're thankful, Lord, that in our weakness and in our, our, our temptations, Lord, as we look back, you have used us. But Lord, we pray, would you continue to use us? Because we're still here and you've not returned. And that means that door is still open. People can still repent and trust in you and be saved. And so we, we, we pray, Lord, even this week, just as you Take us where you're going to take us, Lord, as we live where we're going to live, or work where we're going to work, and go to school, some of us for the first uh, time this week, Lord, that we would just have eyes of compassion and eyes of boldness. And Lord, I just want to pray by saying thank you. Thank you for saving people like us. Thank you for forgiving us of all of our sins, Lord. We, we are amazed, and we are grateful. And we, pray, we say, Lord, use us for your glory. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Church, I hope you have a wonderful week.